Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Kristen and Peter talk with Mary Brandenburg, Bart Campolo, and Sarah Hansen as they begin our new series on mental health, What's On Your Mind? Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Sweet. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, Peter Gad here, and I'm here with Kristen and a couple of fun friends. I'm not sure if they would like that title, but I think they're fun, and I would consider them all friends. Uh, we have Bart Campolo here, and Sarah Hansen here, and Mary Brandenburg, and we're going to hear from all of them today. Um, but we're kicking off a mental health series. This series is going to be focused over the next few weeks on the topic of mental health, um, and we're going to dive into a number of different topics related to this big topic of mental health. Today, we thought we'd kick off the series with a panel, with a kind of a group conversation about a really big topic, mental health, and kind of get a little bit of background. And we wanted, because the topic is so big and there's so many different perspectives and so many different ways to address challenges within the field of mental health, um, we wanted to get a number of different people on the conversation who are in the field to give us their expertise. I do want to make a disclaimer that not one of these individuals has everything. They're all, they're, they're one of the biggest things that everybody said to me with, I'm happy to share, but I do not want to be the one person who speaks on behalf of all individuals or, or the entire field of mental health. And so we're not going to do that. Um, but we do want to get a lot of different perspectives because this topic is important. And if you think about it, um, I'm not sure Kristen and I should be doing a bunch of talks on mental health. We thought, hey, let's actually get professionals who are experts in the field to give us some of their expertise because it's a very important topic. So with all that, I think let's start with a few intros. Just maybe you can share with the group and those of us who are, are watching and listening um, a little bit of your background and what drew you to the field of mental health. And so Sarah, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot and make you go first. Okay, great. Um, hello, my name is Sarah Hansen and um, I decided to get my all of my schooling in psychology. So I got my undergrad in psychology and then went on to get my master's and my doctorate in counseling psychology. So I've been in um, practicing uh, for the last 12 years, mostly in individual um, private practice, seeing um, all ranges of age, lots of different things. Um, I, I think what drew me is <clears throat> I wrote down a few notes and I felt like this was a good... Uh, the way I would say it is I love people and I love puzzles and a really good story. And I feel like the, what counseling specifically, I think I get to do all those things because I really like to try to help someone figure out what's going on. And that's kind of that puzzle part. And I just, I really love listening to people's stories and I really love people. So that's me. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for joining today. How about you, Bart? Hi, I'm Bart Campolo, and if many of you East Lakers have seen me before, I'm live and in person and all that stuff. Uh, and I actually came to B 
be a counselor. I'm a, I'm a licensed professional counselor, like as of like six months ago. Um, and I came to be a licensed professional counselor in a very East Lake kind of way. Um, I grew up in the church. Uh, I was in kind of all these different ministry roles where among other things, I would sit and talk with people one-on-one -on -one about stuff the way Sarah was just talking about. And so I really became comfortable in that context and doing that stuff. And then when I like sort of transitioned out of evangelical Christianity and um, I spent a number of years trying to figure out like, what does it mean to be a minister who doesn't believe in God? And I was a humanist chaplain at USC. Anyway, long and the short of it is I figured out like, I, you can do that, but you can't make a living at it. And so I was like, is there anything that I did as a minister that is transferable skill? And it was like, my wife was like, well, you used to talk to people one-on-one -on -one about their problems and people like to talk to you about that stuff. And you like to, you like to work through things and all that curiosity stuff. And I was like, so I went back to school and, and became a counselor that way. But like, I really came at counseling out of a community building background. And so the, 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 the big part of mental health that I'm most in, excited about always ends up being about helping people connect with other people. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. How about you, Mary? Hi, I'm Mary Brandenburg, and um, I've not been in the professional business for that long. Only I've only had my license 15 years, uh, just 15 years last week, or a couple of weeks ago. And uh, But like Bart, uh, I came uh, to it through uh, ministry, and I can remember when I sent my last child off to school, uh, my pastor saying to me, well, Mary, it's about time you got paid for what you do all the time. <laughs> so, so I went back to school, and I had to finish my bachelor's. Uh, you know, I still had some credits left and then go on and do my master's. And um, I've just been running ever since, feet to the ground. But, uh, you know, as my mother always said to me, Mary, you've given your whole life away. So now I'm getting paid for what I've done. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, and, but I have been, my... In, in ministry, you know, I started uh, 48 years ago. So, so it's been a while. And what really drove me um, was that when I was a kid, people didn't talk about anything. I mean, now, you know, you go on social media and we're talking about sex and, you know, and everything else. Uh, but I had things that happened to me. I had things that I experienced, and I had no one to talk to. And having grown up in an Irish Catholic family, when my mother read my diary when I was uh, 16 going on 17, she sent me to the Monsignor. And... I tried to tell the Monsignor what was going on, and he told me, God bless him, to offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. So all you ex-Catholics out there might know what I'm talking about. And to which I responded, not very nicely out of my mouth. So, and I thought for sure <laughs> that lightning was going to come through the window and strike me dead. And it didn't. 
And that was pretty life-changing. So um, I kind of made a commitment in my heart that day that if I could find help, I would, for the rest of my life, always hold out a hand to others that they might also get some help as much as I can offer. And I don't know everything for sure. (laughs) That's amazing. Mary's starting to stop with some fireworks. I like this. This is great. (laughs) That's helpful background um, uh, from all of you. And thank you. And obviously, maybe Kristen, you can start with your question. I know that ultimately, like we're winding today is address mental health as a general topic and kind of how it's progressed and why it's maybe a a bit more of a a topic that's come up recently. But I think your question may may be a good place to start for the group hear different perspectives. Well, thanks you guys for being here. I'm so happy to see you all. And I, I see Sarah and I've gotten to see Bart um, when we did our conversation for the series before and Mary, it's so good to see you. I miss Mary sitting in the front row of Eastlake with Craig nodding your head. You're like one of the most active (laughs) listeners. (laughs) It was always just so lovely to have Mary and Craig sitting right there. And so just a special, I miss you. It's good to see your face. I haven't seen your Mm -hmm. face in so long. So Um, I think, yeah, when Peter and I were talking about what do we want to kick off the new year with, this was one of the things that we spent some time talking about the arena of mental health. And it feels so big. And I think it is so big. And so um, I feel like it's become more prevalent. The term mental health, the idea of therapy and counseling and the idea of being able to say publicly, I'm not well. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out is why do you think it's so prevalent now? Has it, is it easier to say that? Are people more willing to share has the world gotten worse? Like, is this, is this really the case that the world is worse? So many of us are not feeling like well with our mental health. So I guess my conversation starter for you guys, my question is, why are we hearing about it more now? Who are you going to put on the spot with that one, KB? Mm. Who do you think has to kick us off? <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, let's start okay. with you. Okay. Um, I think there's probably multiple reasons. I, I do think there's a pest. I just like to think of all the um, pessimistic reasons why I do think money plays a factor because I think um, big businesses realize that when people struggle, they don't perform well in their jobs. And I think overall there was this push, I think social media, I just think the access of information people were starting to realize, um, if people are struggling um, internally, they don't perform and then their sick leave and all that, it costs money. Um, And I think that's been, I think that is pessimistic, but I also think it's a really positive thing. Like, yeah, it does matter. You you are impacted a lot, family life, um, your job, everything can be impacted by how you're feeling and how you're doing on, on all of those levels. So I feel like um, a, a big thing is just the access of information and social media. And I think the younger generations are just more um, open and versed and they have all the language to talk about it. And so I think you're just starting to see the, like the stream up effect of that is my thought. Yeah. Do you, uh, 
maybe Bart or Mary, one of you can comment on this, but like I think about my grandpa who passed away and he was 99 and he used to say to us, the world has always been ending. Each new president is the worst president we've ever had and everything will be fine. Um, and I'm wondering like, again, the question of like, has everyone always struggled or with life in general or are things, do you feel like things are actually worse? You, you know, Sarah, I, I, what I, uh, Kristen rather, I'm sorry. That's what I would say, what I would say is like, I would say that people have always struggled. And what, what maybe has changed the most is not that people have struggles, but rather how they cope with them. Hmm. Uh, there was a time when people grew up around their families and everybody lived around people they had grown up with. Mm -hmm. And the kids you went to elementary school were the kids still kids. You lived in the village. Mm -hmm. and, and so in that case, the pressure on a marriage, for instance, wasn't the same. Like your spouse was your spouse and maybe your co-parent, but like, you know, you had friends down at the pub or you had friends in, 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 in your mm -hmm. circle um, and, and you gardened together and you had your family. And so you, did, you the, the weight of who do I talk to about things? Where do I get perspective? How do, how do I get comfort? There were people all around you. Now you live in a world where people are much more isolated. They, they move mm -hmm. for jobs and they live in a city and all of a sudden, you know, you might move to a new place and, and, and your, your wife is, or your husband or your spouse or whoever is supposed to be your best friend. They're your business partner. They're your lover. They're your confessor. Um, they're your exercise partner. And, and so I think a lot, more, a, a lot more people are feeling isolated and have fewer resources. So almost every therapist I talk to says, you know, half of my clients, if they had one really close friend, they wouldn't be in therapy. Hmm. They're really wow. helping me not to deal with a serious hmm. mental illness, but dealing with a, a real case of isolation and, and a sense of they're, they're, they're looking for a, basically they're looking for a friend. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you, we live and, and then you say, well, well, what's happened in the last 10 years with social media and the rise of that? And you say, well, people are so much more connected, but all the data would suggest that on, on some superficial level, people feel more connected, but actually that stuff ends up making us feel more isolated and more cut off. And we see other people having their curated lives and we compare that to our uncurated misery. And, mm -hmm. and, and so we feel more isolated. <laughs> oh, so that's I, such a good way of saying it. <laughs> I think we have a lot of people that the reason that they're struggling is because they're isolated. Mm -hmm. and, um, and emotionally isolated. And, and, and so, you know, you say, like, wait, your, your grandfather's right. Like people always had trouble and you go like, but people had many more built-in ways, coping mechanisms to deal with that trouble. And now, um, and now, and now it's not so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw you raise your hand earlier too, Mary. What were you, yes. what were you thinking? Well, a number of things which have been said. In fact, I kind of challenge many of my clients um, to explore what um, taking a risk looks like in, ther in therapy, in our relationship, so that they can take this experience out into their personal lives and find out 
who's safe, who's not safe. I know some people hate the word safe. However, some people just aren't. They're just too toxic to be safe. Whatever you tell them, they're going to find some way to use against you. We see that on social media all the time. Um, I want to say, too, that uh, there's always been suffering. There's been suffering uh, for as long as there's been people. And we we have to accept that. But what Bart was saying about community and family, I grew up in this immigrant family community that um, you had you had people around you and you had support and people who believed in you, people who knew your story. Living here in this little town of 3,000 people in, uh, in, the, in central Utah, I'm seeing that uh, when I meet the, the radiation tech or, or whatever, and they ask where I live, and I'll say, um, I bought the Dillon's house. And people know exactly you know how to how to locate me and and that's what i'm experiencing with the people that i've met around here but um i think there's another aspect that has really brought this idea of mental health to the to the forefront and before i get into into that for a moment i just want to say that poor mental health does not equal mental illness i mean we all, every single one of us, have tough times, have tough days. We have our, you know, our, who called it the dark nights of the soul. I mean, they just happen. So, yeah, Grandpa, Grandpa was right. And, uh, and Sarah's got it, that there's an awareness. There is a business aspect to this, that people are looking at profitability and they want their workers to bring them their profit. So they have to bring them their best. But I think that, um, that, that the, maybe one of the newest things that's come to the forefront is our children and the concern for children that has been expressed with so many children being in isolation. I have many clients who are teachers and children are behind. And I'm not talking just about in their education, uh, but in their social skills. You know, there's so much that happens in a classroom and on the playground. And it couldn't happen when they were looking at, you know, 30 little faces and a teacher on the screen. They didn't have it. Yeah, Kristen, and- that would... That would be the, the, the big unspoken thing where you say, why is it so, you know, well, there was this thing called COVID. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and it's really affected a lot of people's mental health. Yes. Yeah. Sarah, you had talked a little bit earlier about, um, before we started recording, about the difference between mental illness and mental health. Can you, yeah. can you talk about that again now that we're recording? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to kind of follow up what Mary, I think it's a really important distinction is just that when I think a lot of people um, don't know the difference, or or at least it gets lumped into the same thing. And I think what Mary's talking about is like, we all have um, struggles and um, hard things happen in our environments and hard things happen internally. And that's kind of what we're talking about with mental health. 
mental illness and um, more serious or severe mental illness is really more, I think, of where some of the stigma can come from in terms of what people are afraid of, mostly because they don't know, right? They don't know about it. There's not enough um, awareness around it. But I would say um, diagnoses that would um, have someone hospitalized or have someone need to be in a treatment center for mm-hmm. long periods of time, um, things that people, uh, you know, kind of the... Like bipolar disorder. Like bipolar, schizophrenia, yeah. diagnoses that are more, I, I think they are flashier in the terms of we see them on TV, we see them, and they're not necessarily always well... Um, done right like they're they're dramatized um you know there's such a stigma and a misinformation about like people get nervous when they see or they hear about someone with schizophrenia and the statistics say they're very very unlikely to be dangerous people um and so that always makes me really sad because i feel like you you might see someone um and there's a fear because there's not an understanding and there's, I, I think I, I find even in how media handles, I feel like it's thrown out. Like, well, maybe it was a mental health thing. And I'm like, be careful because are you talking about mental health? Or are you talking about, you think it might be because the person has a mental illness? Uh, so I feel like that distinction Peter, is important. Like, yeah, when you're asking, I was sort of thinking about like all of us in our terms of our physical health, you can go like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really very healthy right now. Like I haven't been working out. I've been eating junk food, you know, it's crazy stuff like that. And you're like, we all have fluctuating physical, yes. physical wellness. But then you go like, I was in a car accident and I, you know, I broke both my legs or I have diabetes or I have cancer. And you're like, oh, that's a serious illness. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, you know, and I think like sometimes it's the same way that like we all have fluctuating mental health and we could have a really good conversation about how people can improve their mental health. Yeah. And then sometimes somebody just gets hit by a Mack truck of cancer or they get hit by a Mack truck of clinical depression or, um, or, 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 or bipolar disorder emerges when they're like 17 years old and they're like, whoa, like I never had this. And you go, yeah, that's mental illness. And, 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 and both are treatable. And sometimes the treatments look a lot the same in the same way that like physical, like if you're recovering from surgery, they're like, we want you to exercise and eat right. And they're like, and if you're just like feeling credit, they're like, you should exercise and eat right. Like, so, so they overlap, but they're not exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good example or metaphor there. That's helpful. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I would say about that too, is like, you know, I was sitting with a woman an older woman recently who was feeling so she she's she's developed bipolar disorder and she's feeling so guilty for the way that it's you know the burden she is on her family and the way people have to care for and what was interesting about it was is that i was sitting there with a doctor and the doctor said but but jane if, if you had developed diabetes or if you had contracted yes. cancer, would, yes. you wouldn't be feeling guilty about it. You wouldn't be going like, well, I, I shouldn't. He's, he's like, you have a serious mental illness. And like, it's bad enough that you should have to deal with that. You certainly shouldn't have to feel guilty for having had it. Like if you got hit by a truck, you, you would be in a lot of pain, but you wouldn't feel like, what's wrong with me? I, I, I have a lack of, so it's like mental illness is not a, a sign of bad character. It's a thing that happens to people. 
just like diabetes or cancer. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. Maybe that is, I mean, part of what even, it seems just like another example of what's changed or what's maybe a click forward for us societally would be that we wouldn't put morality we wouldn't associate like bad choices with a mental illness or a challenge with your mental health whereas in the past maybe we whether it was ever explicitly said or not we've felt that way like i if i'd have made better choices i wouldn't be experiencing depression right nobody would say that with a um, something like cancer or something that maybe lives more in the physical realm versus the mental realm um i think that would hopefully is a click forward for us as a culture that there's less shame associated with that and there can be more acceptance and then hopefully habits or processes treatments to help people navigate it yeah i think that my hope is that eventually the mental part just gets removed and Mm. it's just health like Mm. because and i'm sure you both have experienced this too in your practices but i'm often talking about physical health i mean that's so much of our physical health is our mental health and vice versa so it feels like to separate it sometimes is not Mm. helpful Um, and I'm hoping eventually like the, if there is a division, it feels like it's starting to break down, but that it's just seen as health. Like you're just going in and your doctor, which they're, excuse me, they're doing anyway, or your, your therapist, they're, they're speaking to both your physical and your mental health because both impact each other. So you can't separate it. Yeah. And one of the ways that they're the same thing too is trauma. Like a lot of like, a lot of times things go back to trauma, you know, and that our bodies reflect trauma, our, our you know, our, our, our mental health reflects trauma. And I, I think like it, it, it's really important when, when, when we're trying to, to separate these out that sometimes physical trauma causes mental health problems. And so a lot of times, when somebody comes in and they're struggling with something, I'm sort of like, yeah, let's talk about what's going on with your body because what's going on in your body and what's going on in, in, in your heart and in your soul and in your mind, because they're all really connected. That's great. I, Where were we saying, I, lo- I was going to say that I love that in our field of psychology, that there is an integration. And I think that the ideas of, Um, holistic health and wellness have grown up along the, the, alongside um, the development of counseling psychology and and the different 
theories and that people are coming to understand that this fascinating thing that we call our mind that's held in our brain, that it's part of our body. It's not some esoteric separate entity that uh, hangs out in the clouds, but it is, it, it is part of who we are. And, uh, and, and what uh, Bessel van der Kolk and uh, earlier people like Alice Miller, the Swiss psychiatrist, had, uh, had taught is that children hold these memories, those trauma narratives in their bodies. And now science has told us why. You know, with the hippocampus not really being developed until a child is maybe at the early end, three, but later it could be five or six, which is why our early stories, our early memories, our early narratives don't come into play because the hippocampus holds them. Otherwise, everything is stored in the body. And you know, so when they say that, uh, that you know, even, even a, a fetus or an embryo or, you know, can, can feel what's going on in the mother, you know, there's some science behind that. Hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So I thought I was, it's the end of the year and I was working on health insurance stuff and um, going through options. And I saw a meme the other day that made me laugh that said, who decided that eyes and teeth are not, are separate from the whole health of the body? Why right. you have to have separate, you know, an eye plan and a dental plan and a health plan. And, yeah. but I was so relieved that in these health plan options, there, there was a section on, you know, counseling and therapy and this is what the copay is and all that. And I, I guess I feel like I was a little encouraged that there's some progress that has been made to show that your mental health is, is part of your whole body health, your whole person wellness. So I was thankful. Well, that's an upside of COVID because when COVID came about, insurance companies were told that they had to cover mental health. And now we have the development of things like telehealth. I still see all my clients who live in Washington and I can live in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. That is helpful. Filling out insurance though, at the end of the year, that's its own kind of trauma in and of itself. (laughs) You know, that's, that's just, that sounds like a challenge. Um, I want to steer the the conversation a little bit um, towards just, I think maybe we can take something that Bart said and then see if it's a little bit more complicated than that. But you mentioned Bart that um, a lot of mental health challenges that you are, you're talking with people tend to come back to relationships or come back to having a close friend. And I was talking with Brittany my wife's in finishing up her counseling psychology program. And she was telling me the other day about someone and either she was seeing a counselor or it came up in class that, um, the idea that humans are complicated house pets, like ultimately mostly what we need house plants, house plants, we need food, water, uh, we need uh, sunshine and we need a friend. That's what makes mm. us complicated. That's the only thing that's that much more complicated than a plant. And obviously that's a, a silly, like dumbed down version of what's actually helpful for people. But do you see general trends about 
like what are these practices that would help us just have a, a healthier mental landscape? And, and obviously, Sarah, I agree with you. I'm wanting to have it be holistic. We can change the title of the series and not call it a mental health series or call it a health series. But I think in general, when it comes to just the health of our minds, um, are there certain practices that you tend to highlight or see a lot that we can kind of like just start the conversation with? We're obviously going to do more as we kind of dive in um, over the next few weeks, but I think at a high level will be interesting. I mean, I, 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 I'll give you the most basic one that comes to my mind, Peter, and that is um, in no other area, you know, in no other area of life, I think, do people think that, that they should naturally know what to do. So, what I mean as, as human connection. So like, you know, like you might say, like, I'm a good person, so I should have good relationships. And I go like, but you wouldn't say that about like, I'm a good person, so food should appear on my table. You would go like, no, I have to go to the grocery store and I have to cook. I'm a good person, so I'll have money. No, no, you actually have to get a job and you have to, I'm a good person, so I should be physically fit. And you're like, no, you're gonna have to go to the gym. Like people understand that I have to be intentional about my physical fitness. I have to be intentional about my food, about my economic well-being. But when it comes to relationships, they go like, you shouldn't really have to read books about how to be a better friend, or you shouldn't have to take lessons on how to be a good conversationalist, or you shouldn't have to um, listen to a lecture about forgiveness to learn like what the elements of a good apology are like, like you should just know how to have a good friendship. And so many of the people that I work with feel guilty that they don't have better connections but nobody ever showed them how. They don't teach that in high school. They don't have a class on how to be a good friend or, or how to talk to an old person who's dying they, or, or how to deal with a, somebody who's lost a, a spouse. So, so there's all this kind of relational knowledge and relational skill development that I feel like is a lot of what I end up doing in my practice as a counselor. And I just think like for most people, the idea that you have to be intentional and that there are skills that you can learn that will make you a better connector and that will make you feel more of a sense of belonging wherever you are. But this is like, it's more of a craft than it is like a natural gift. And some people are born with like, they're yeah. just easy to relate to and I'm broken and there's something wrong with me. You go like, you know what? We all come up with different amounts of raw, raw talent at this, but almost anybody can get better at it if they get some psychoeducation. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a great one. How about you, Sarah? Is there one that like triggered in your mind? Yeah. And it's, yeah, you're going to get, I think really different responses to this. I feel like, um, I remember I was on a road trip with my family, about 11 years old, white, big white, 1980, whatever suburban. And we're driving. And I remember popping up. This will be a very clear memory in my brain forever. I popped up. And I said, I just thought about what I thought about. And I made a song. I'm thinking what I'm thinking. I'm think and I probably sang that and I couldn't, I kept telling my parents like, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about. Oh my gosh. Um, and that was metacognition. And I yeah, was like, this right. is insanity. Like, I can't believe I can do this. And I feel like I am, I, I love metacognition. And I think there is so much power when you tell someone, 
can you notice your thoughts? Yes. And can yes. you identify your feelings? And it's like, instead of living like this with everything here and you are your emotions or you are your thoughts, can you look at them? And I feel like when people loosen the grip and have a sense of presence and awareness of what they're thinking and feeling and being able to identify, I find they're, they don't have to then say, I am anxious. They can say, I'm experiencing anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I can, now I can choose what I'm, how I'm going to respond to that. I, I find that me. to be Name pretty me. powerful. Yeah, it's not me. It's not yeah. who I, That's right. Not what I'm thinking or how I'm thinking or how I'm feeling, but it's not who I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, that's that's, deep. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great example. And that, um, so just to ask the dumb question on behalf of, I'm sure all of our listeners got it, but I didn't. Metacognition is that, that's, that's you it. define that as noticing your thoughts. Metacognition basically. is developmentally the ability to think about your own thoughts. And it really does happen. Like the humans are capable of that. I should be doing they that right are. now. They <laughs> are. Yes, Peter. Peter. Okay. We'll okay. chat later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's good. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Mary? Well, uh, yeah, uh, along that lines, uh, it is when we get uh, just out of concrete thinking into abstract thinking. And it is this phenomenal ability that we have that allows us to be able to make progress. Um, Many people who really sunk to the depths during COVID because of the isolation and the 24-7 demands that were on them and uh, have kind of returned to their pre-pandemic levels. But there are many uh, who are still experiencing, um, you know, demands which exceed their personal resources and their uh, ability to cope. And, um, and those are the people I think that, a lot, uh, that many therapists end up seeing in therapy. And so uh, we have these conversations about self-care. And so many people think self-care is going off to the spa by myself and leaving the kids behind and, oh, husband, make your own food or, oh, wife, you know, do your own whatever. And I have to, you know, like bring them around to... Um, some of those things can get to be pretty selfish because they continue to, I mean, they can be very good too. Let me not, let me not confuse you, but that, that self-care really should be things, um, that are not selfish, that, that not only serve us, but they serve us in such a way that we are also useful to our communities and, you know, to all the people around us that we love and even the people who stand around us at the grocery store. So it's the, you know, uh, the physical exercise, it's the nutrition, it's creative expression, 
It's uh, maintaining our our sleep hygiene. It's doing relaxation practices and, and things and meditation for developing that ability for metacognition and watching our thoughts and paying attention to what we're feeling in our bodies to you know, things like uh, having gratitude, having the ability to set priorities and to be able to say no and um, to develop some positivity, although I'm not talking Pollyanna, everything's not supposed to be right. But as, as Americans, we just think that everything has to be done perfectly. And as Bart was saying, we should all over ourselves because we think that we should know and do everything and, and things that are right. I remember as the firstborn of seven kids, I thought I was supposed to know everything, how to do it. I didn't, I, I didn't know that I was supposed to ask questions. So... Uh, it's these all these things contribute yep. to to yep. mental health. That's a great list. Mental health. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about the should thing, and, and and Peter and Kristen, you kind of probably knew that I would not be able to escape this. But a significant part of my practice is working with people that are working through religious trauma. Uh, people that have their faith has changed, they've lost their faith altogether. And they are haunted by the voice of a God they no longer believe in. But just like they they can't get over the sexual repression that they grew up in or the concept of as a woman where they where they fit into the hierarchy of life Um, that that, so I deal with a lot of religious trauma and I deal with a lot of religious transition. And, you know, you guys are part of a church that is sort of famously a safe place for people who are experiencing all different kinds of religious transitions. And, and yeah. you go like, do the, you know, is that mental illness when somebody is losing their faith? And you go like, <laughs> depends on your perspective. I mean, some people say that faith is the mental illness. Um, but, 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 um, but, 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 but the thing that's really important to bear in mind is, is that a lot of times how a person sees the world, why they think bad things happen, why they think good things happen, to what degree they feel like there's meaning to the universe or whether meaning is something that we create by, between us by caring about each other. These things all really have a significant impact on how a person processes the loss of their cat or the failure of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so you guys have spent a lot of time around spirituality in your lives and in your congregation. And, and like the idea that like, you're like, well, we're going to talk about mental health and then we'll go back to talking about what you believe about God. I I promise you those two things sit right on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. The Venn diagram. Well, even while we're bringing it up, right? Like at some point, Chris and I are brainstorming, like what is helpful in terms of discussion for our community. And like, it just feels as if you can't disconnect the two. You can't disconnect being a healthy, beneficial presence in the world from your beliefs and whether or not your beliefs are sound or based in reality or helpful. And also your mental health, right? It's all very much connected. 
Um, I think we have, Peter and I both each have kind of like one question before we run out of time. And for, I want to just briefly touch on, I'm not sure if Eastlake people listening have this perspective, but I know it's out there. What do you say to people who are like, oh my gosh, mental health and like everybody just figure it out, get it together. Like Mm. it's not, I, I feel like there are people out there who um, are just like, oh, I'm so tired of like talking about feelings and struggles and like, let's just, let's all move on and get it together and just move forward. Um, So why, why is this important if you don't feel like you struggle with kind of the healthy part of your mind? Um, What do you say to that kind of person or idea? I'm going to say, number one, be so thankful that you don't, hmm. you know, that, that you were graced with such a life and such experiences that you have resilience. And I'm going to say, wake up and smell the coffee because the paradigm is, sh- is, is changing in our culture. And this conversation is not going away. It's not because mental health has to do with our emotional, our psychological, our social being. It affects how we feel, how we act, how we think. You know, it's really, it's about, I mean, it dictates who we are as people. I mean, my hands can move like this because not just that I have muscles, but I have a brain that can give directions. And it is this, it's the same. It's the mind in our brain that gives the directions to health. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I might say something I, else. And I might say, uh, be thankful for what you've got, but for goodness sake, develop some compassion. please. <laughs> yeah. The rest yeah. of us need it. Yeah, uh, no, you know, I, I would, I would add to that. I, I would say, wait, just, just, just set your watch, because you know, <laughs> like I, I, I lived my life with, I thought, great compassion towards people that were struggling, and I, I offered a lot of advice and I offered a lot of practical help to people. And then somewhere in my forties, um, the wheels came off for me, for about a year and a half. Um, I couldn't listen to a conversation and not have my mind drift. And I was sad all the time. And when the phone rang, I cursed it. And I, I was able to function in my life. I was able to keep doing things. But at home, I wasn't present. And I was, about nine months into it, I said to my wife, you know, I, I think I might be depressed. And she laughed and she said, oh, really? How long do you think you've been depressed? I said, oh, like a week or two. And she's like, man, you haven't been here for a year. Um, and it hit me like a Mack truck out of nowhere. I didn't see it coming and I didn't know if it was ever going to end. And when I came out of that, most of my friends would say, you know, you were always, you always a nice guy and always helpful when we were in trouble, but we always got the impression that you thought that that stuff was like the trouble, that kind of trouble happened to people that were weak and you were strong. And it's really different talking to you when we're in trouble now because mm. you've broken yourself mm. and you know right. that 
you know how it works from the inside. You know, and so one of the things that I would say is like, sometimes, sometimes it's a, something like that somebody carries with them through their whole life, a melancholy that they're not able to shake. But sometimes like this stuff is episodic or it's situational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and probably at some point, especially if you're that hard, I got it all together person, as you get to the end of your life and your body gives way and your mortality becomes clear to you, like a lot of those people, then they're like, I'm not in control of my life anymore. I mean, my dad is struggling so much right now in the, in the aftermath of this book because he always controlled his own destiny. And now he is completely at the mercy of other people. And so mental illness is in your future if you live long enough. Um, <laughs> you live long enough, it, it, you know, you, you will come to a place of, of deep darkness and depression. And so, and so that's one, you know, I just say, like, set your watch. Like, don't, don't, don't be so, you know, you sort of like, and once you get on the other side of it, you go like, oh, I really, like, I didn't say this to people, but I really did think like, just snap out of it. Just pull yourself together. And then once you've been inside of it, you're like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I, what shit I was talking. <laughs> I, I have to echo that because it is, uh, it is even when just youth and beauty leave. You know, it is part of the natural process of aging. And uh, you you have to decide how you're going to age. And I made a decision in my 40s when I was seeing it begin to happen that uh, I was going to do it gratefully and gracefully. No Botox. I'm letting go of hair color, letting it go gray, you know, but it's so true. I remember my father always so able-bodied. Um, at 60, he said, oh, man, this go getting old stuff is for the birds. Life has a way of humbling us. Yeah. yeah. I would, I'm just going to go a different approach because I like puzzles and people and stories, and I would love to kind of have that person come and say, hand me your phone, hand me all your alcohol or any substance, um, go sit in a room by yourself with nothing to distract you. And I'll see you in two hours. (laughs) And I love you, Sarah. the, the, The problem is we numb without even knowing we're numbing to a point where there's no more edge. Um, I'm reading Brené Brown's new um, Atlas of the Heart. Here's like promotion for it. And she talks about that we all need our edges. And I'm thinking that person who says in that type of way of like, what are you guys talking about? They've numbed to a point, the perfect point where they're not feeling anymore Mm -hmm. and they're not experiencing, they're not thinking about what they're thinking about. They're not aware of their own body, mind. I have so many questions for that person (laughs) out of love and kindness and compassion for sure. But I'm very suspicious immediately of someone because it's a discomfort with other people's pain. When I see people so uncomfortable with other people's pain, it's because it's their inner child saying, hey, like, I know how that feels. And you're not listening to me. Mm. There's just a lot of pain, you know? Yeah. 
those are great responses. That's I think. To be fantastic. clear, it was a, it was a, <laughs> uh, hypothetical. Hypothetical. There's the worst. Yeah. I no, mean, but it's oh, great. Those, but I, <laughs> it's certain, that's a prevalent, I think, experience. Though I've heard that certainly, yeah. um, and I felt that way. I'm not. It's not that person, right? I've felt that way about some challenges that I, I've I've gone through. I should just get over it, or I mean. This is sometimes yeah, what I tell my seven-year-old, right? Move on, buddy, right? Like, it's, it's prevalent in our culture, right? Yeah. Most of the people that I know, like, that's a great point because most of the people I know would not say that to another person, like, what's wrong with you? You suck. Get off your ass. Come on. Yeah. Get... But they'll say that to themselves. Right. They'll say that to themselves. And so, like, that, you know, that, that, we say, we, the things we say to our, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're ugly, you don't know anything, you never do anything right. Like the way we talk to ourselves is a reflection that, and, and, and sometimes the fact that, that's, that's the way we're feeling about other people too. We're just more polite, but there is that lack of perspective. And I think Sarah's so, so right. Like if you want to get perspective, there are some real quick there's some real quick tests we could run. It's <laughs> great. What do you think of Mary? Um, a little different. Uh, I just want to make sure that somewhere in this uh, presentation is included a public service announcement that if you or anyone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, um, Please call the Suicide um, Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Crisis Text Line by texting T-A-L-K to 741-741. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I think that's huge. We'll make sure and include that too. Um, Thank you. In the, in the language for the talk, because that's ultimately what we're even doing this series for, is to make sure that the topic is um, front and center for us. So I think we can wrap with that. Those are great thoughts from everybody. Thank you for your contributions. Um, I feel like we had a fantastic conversation, and I love to hear the different perspectives on it. Um, and for those of you listening, thanks for, for jumping in. We're doing this series because we want to get – perspective and context from people who are in the field of mental health so that all of us can live better. This is the, um, as Bart was saying, right, it's all connected, our mental health to our, uh, and, and Sarah highlighted this, I feel like the whole, the whole theme is that it's all connected to our broader health and how we live. And so we can't, we can't separate those two. So I'm excited for where we're going to go in this series. Thanks for your contributions and excited to hear from you more individually. We're going to do some more interviews with individual um, contributors over these next couple of weeks. So thanks for jumping in and listening. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you. Good to see you all. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.